welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky, and I'm finally back looking at Marie across the Zoom. Hello. Are you prepared with a funny fear? Of course I'm prepared with a funny fear. <laughs> you live for the funny fear. Okay. Yeah. We're doing this again. I know. We're, okay. we're going to get through this faster. We need to be disciplined. Okay. New- we should have a safe word when one of us goes so far up the rails that like get back on the road like you're on the exit ramp like get back on the road a you know safe word a safe word be? uh and i when we're talking about things and one of us wants to stop talking about it we name a game of thrones character so at first it was daenerys targaryen and then it became Jon snow so like like if you know because that's your thing well what's another show what about ted lasso i don't watch that show um, I'm uh wait I'm fearing that today if you don't have a fear I'm fearing safe words today <laughs> so what are you fearing today <laughs> well I I fear the zombie apocalypse because of Mad Max style art installations being set up by homeless people in underpasses um so there was a judge that passed a ruling to a lawsuit here in Los Angeles where if you're in LA County and you want to clean up a homeless encampment that started during COVID. The city that you live in or the principality has to come up with a 60-40 split. So I guess a study showed that if you start cleaning up homeless encampments, 60% of the people find a place to go, whether it's a shelter or they go back and live with their family or something like that. But 40% are unable to find housing. So what the judge said was that that the police can't clean up the encampments until that particular city figures out 40% housing for the people. Okay. So they started building Mad Max type, like, where's the connection? So like everywhere now, underpasses in parks, like when you go down into like little wooded areas, homeless people have started building structures. Like from trash and in some instances the trash is spilling into the street the people are just like milling around there's like human waste everywhere and in some instances they've taken over structures and they're like spray painting stuff with ominous messages ominous messages crazy so there's this park i don't jog at anymore because all along the running path is just a a homeless city encampment with dudes sitting in lawn chairs staring at you while you jog and there have been stories about people getting held up or stabbed goodness and so the new district attorney here this guy gaston is gotten rid of bail so they pick up people for robbing or things and then they immediately get put back on the street California now has a homeless serial killer he just got caught what Uh, yeah (laughs) The homeless person is the killer or homeless people are getting killed? Both. He's a homeless, homeless guy's killing homeless people? Killing homeless people. Yeah. That's way too meta for me. Like, <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> That's really it's pretty incredible. <laughs> like, but a friend of mine a friend of mine said she drove past this one area and when you look down over the underpass, it's like a whole city. Yeah. Like a trash city. And it seemed like there was like an overlord like in Mad Max that was running it. And the thing yeah. is, I'm not insensitive to homelessness. I know you used to work with them, right? Yeah. 
this isn't all like COVID related. This is just lawlessness. It's yeah. like drug addicts and it's people that just are causing mayhem. A lot of it ties into like defunding the police and like having no solution to the problem as we're trying to steer out of COVID, all the pitfalls and all the things that came up from it that we're just not dealing with. And this is like symbolic of that. And it ties into crime and it ties into the justice system and mental health you know, and lots of things. Of that, just today, about. there was another case of people who go on planes, don't put their masks on and refuse to get off the plane. I'm so motherfucking sick of those motherfuckers. You know the rules of getting on a plane. This is not brand new news to you. You went to the airport with the intention of protesting and stopping everyone's trip and everyone missed their connections because it was delayed for hours. That stuff ties into like, it's not just lack of respect for law, but respect for order. Right. This is like an example of the kind of things that are happening. James was waiting at the deli at the grocery store. And this woman comes up without a mask on because we have a new mask mandate here. And she wants a, a spoon. And the kid was like, I can't serve you. You don't have a mask on. And she was like, I know my rights. I'm an American citizen. I don't have to wear a mask. And she was just going off about her rights. What do you kid, say about pants? I, know. I don't want to wear pants in the grocery store, but they're not going to serve me if I walk in with no pants on. The, the business can, has a right to refuse service. Yes. But she was harassing him so badly. Finally, the kid just got a spoon and he tossed it on the counter. And then she turned to James and he goes, he just threw a spoon at me. You're my witness. And James goes, he's not the one being an asshole here. And then she started trying to go at him. And James was like, listen, lady, put a fucking mask on. And then she just walked away. <laughs> but nobody like, wants to wear these masks. Nobody. We don't enjoy it. No, I don't like wearing it. Anyway. Yeah, well, all right. Let's talk about something lighthearted. Right. I have some I have some murder today for you. Perfect. No. Um <laughs> I actually don't have murder. But you're supposed to ask me what I'm fearing. So uh Becky, <laughs> now that I'm, I'm fearing now that I brought um, the show up a notch to a really positive place, what are you fearing? Well, Marie, since you asked, today I am fearing disappearances from one's own driveway. Mm. And I've got three cases in particular that are really creepy. Mm -hmm. And we did a disappearing one back, I think in January, named Where the Fuck Did They Go? And so I've decided already I'm naming this episode, no, seriously, Where the Fuck Did They Go? Because I have way too many creepy disappearances that are not solved of so many people. Now, today, they're all women. But in the future, I just wanted to throw this out there. I want to talk about the men especially college age and young men in their 20s and 30s who disappear from bars, even though they're surrounded by friends. Mm. Um, those stories are really creepy. This one is from the year 1985. And it's the only one of our three cases today that is not based in Missouri. I don't know why. It happens that the other two are. So this is a little girl named Cherry Mann, M-A-H-A-N, Mann, okay? And one of the reasons why this spoke to me is it's one of many stories like this where this little girl was there one second and gone the next. The window of opportunity for this little girl to have been taken was so tiny, almost hard to imagine, okay? So this was on uh, my birthday, actually, February 22nd, 1985, in a 
tiny town. I looked up the population in 2010, it was only 3,500 people called Winfield Township, Pennsylvania. And little Cherry's mother was off from work, but that day she decided to let Cherry walk from the bus stop that was down at the end of their driveway into the house without going together. And so her mother was with her stepfather on the porch and they heard the bus stop at the bottom of the driveway, but they couldn't see it, but they could hear it. And then time went by and the little girl never came up, never came up thing. And the stepfather says to the mother, I'm going to go down and see maybe she fell because it was winter time. Maybe it was slippery, you know, in Pennsylvania, there's probably a lot of snow or ice. He goes down the bottom of the driveway. There's no cherry, nowhere to be found. But this girl disappeared into thin air. So the timeline of things, and this is from, I have two sources, the pittsburgh.cbslocal.com and then a website called shillingcrimes.com that when Perry got off the bus, there was a mother of other children waiting in her car for her children. So Cherry got off the bus with three other kids and those other three kids got into that car. But Cherry walked just up the driveway because there was no reason to give her a ride. It was that close. And so this woman named Debbie was the mom of those three kids. And she, the other kids on the bus and the bus driver all said, yes, we saw Cherry get off the bus. No one has seen her since. No one. Wow. This was 1985. And the only real lead that came about then was some of the kids on the bus saw a blue van that had a very distinctive like spray painted thing on the side. Uh, and they gave a description of that. And the Pennsylvania State Troopers who were investigating this, they tried to run it down, but they never did find the van. And the, one of them said, well, it was so publicized that they for sure painted over it by now. You know, it's probably one of a million black vans that are driving around. You know, How old was that? She, oh, I'm sorry, she's eight, eight. She's eight years old. And Debbie was the last known adult person to see Cherry. Uh, and she said she waited till Cherry walked past her own vehicle before she drove off with her kids. And about uh, 20 minutes later, the police were called and everyone started searching around in the area. There were police dogs called out. The dogs tracked her scent, but it stopped wherever they thought that blue van was. The dogs couldn't trace her after that, which to me says... You got to some vehicle, right? If somebody had walked time? off, you know. Hmm? How much time did this person have to grab her? Like in this timeline, what are we estimating the amount of time was? Five, five minutes, I say. Okay. Um, five from, minutes is enough time to grab someone. Well, that's the distance between when they heard the bus. Five to 10 minutes was from when they heard the bus. But think about how long it takes the kids to get off the bus. The mom, Debbie, has her three kids come over and get into her car. That all takes time. That all takes time. And then the dad goes to the bottom of the driveway. So from the time that Debbie drove off and the van turned the corner and was out of sight and the dad goes to the bottom of the driveway, it's very few, just a few minutes there, you know, which to me says the person knew that that little girl would be there. They were counting on everyone driving off and the mom not walking down to the bottom of the stairs. They were counting on the little girl not screaming or making any level of commotion, you know, um, even though they were that close. Being that close to the driveway of that home is what makes this case really, really creepy to me. It's not like she was walking a mile from a friend's house and was abducted in a park. Although a lot of these people do stalk for a period of time, like you said, and if it's someone that is aware of her or aware of the neighborhood, it could have just been... They, they had their opportunity and they took it. I mean, especially with an eight-year-old right. little girl, 
you could knock her out really easily or well here's where the story takes a weird not story because we don't know what happened to her right but the story of terry and her mother takes an interesting turn so terry's mother was 16 when she had terry and what janice says is and this is a quote i got raped and i had terry when i was 16 and she was it for me everything I never left the house without her. We were always together. We grew up together. She was my life. Now, the birth, you know, father, quote unquote father, was never charged with that rape. But here's what Janice says. She believes in her heart that he had something to do with that disappearance. And so not that he was the one that took her because the police ran him down, I guess, and there was an alibi or something. But what Janice believes is that people connected to him and his family are responsible for taking Cherry away. Okay. Yeah. Which one of the things that might make a little bit of sense is if the person knew that Cherry was going to be on that bus, you know, knew who they were looking for, knew what time and grabbed her in that little window of time, because it's understandable, you know, since there was a rape that he wasn't in her life. But the implication here is that there was some level of people who were associated with him were trying to in some way insinuate themselves into Janice's life with the little girl. Got it. Yeah. Do you know any um, more details about that? Nope. Nope. She won't even say his name. I don't know what town or wherever they lived. And we don't know what um, the motivation would be if it would be to kill Cherry. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, what would your goal be? You get her and you just take her to another state and raise her, you know, dye her hair and do that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but this case was highly publicized. Her picture was distributed all over posters everywhere. And she was one of the people who was featured on a milk carton. Remember the, I don't even know if they still do that, but back in the day, the milk carton kids. Um, and the only piece of evidence they ever found was tire marks that had been left in the snow at the bottom of that hill that led to that driveway. Nobody saw her get in the van, but they did have tracks from the vehicle that they, you know, think was connected with her disappearance. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty yep. crazy. Man, you hear all these stories and you just go like, am I lucky that I wasn't kidnapped when I was a kid? It it makes it seem like this stuff is just going on all the time. And it's a strange thing too, because it sounds like it goes on all the time. And I know for the people that experience it, of course, it's the end of the world. And it, But it's still really rare, you know? It's like, it's just so rare. And it's especially rare for it to be a stranger. Of course it happens. Yes, it happens. But it's especially rare because it's usually a parent or a significant right. other. You know, there's a lot of those kinds of cases as well. Um, but well, I just wanted to mention that to put it in perspective because so many people are just twerped out about child pedophile rings and like all this kind of stuff, all this fanciful stuff. And like our society has gotten so much worse. And in all areas, I don't know that we have gotten worse. I just think everything is out in the open. So like crime has dropped. I mean, it's significantly dropped from, especially back in the eighties and nineties. I mean, it's just dropped. I I mean, mean, I, yeah. So it just seems like it because because maybe it's those like us who just talk about crime and murder all the time, you know? Well, I mean, you know, I would, I would guess that rape was way worse when people didn't talk about it. Um, Hold on, way worse. Oh, you mean the statistics of it? Yeah. Yeah, right. because it was now, now right. people think twice because there's this, uh, there's a sort of continuum of bad behavior, right? There's like 
people that are serial rapists and then there are people that culturally speaking see how far they can push it you know and some of those people are tamped down a little bit and people have been become more educated about what's good behavior and bad behavior but yeah. back in the day they didn't really fucking talk about that stuff in right. fact they believe that there's a lot more victims of the golden state killer who never went to the police because they were too embarrassed yeah yeah so so our culture is changing and and we're less willing to live with stuff like even to take it to a non-serial killer example someone was mentioning to me that the instances of autoimmune disorders are rising and i'm like are they or are they just being diagnosed exactly so like people same thing with autism too right you know right yeah yeah i mean there you can point to like people that had symptoms or behaviors or or symptoms of autoimmune or symptoms of of autism and they were just never diagnosed and they just kind of dealt with it right so people are right. are doing that less right back uh, in the day women would die of breast cancer and never have gone to a doctor right i mean they wouldn't tell anyone or have i mean they would just die you know because there was something shameful about breasts you know and or the pain that they had in their uterus or their whatever and, and they would just keep silent about it so yeah i mean i think we're definitely moving in the right direction there you know oh yeah women in my family would go to the if they would go to the gynecologist if they gave birth and that was it. Yeah. Like there were yeah. no, you didn't, you didn't go yearly to the gynecologist. Right. right. That would have just been, I don't know, like you were a pervert or something. Well, first <laughs> of all, back then, remember we did the show about doctors inseminating their patients right. with their own sperm. Fucking OBGYNs back then were creepy as fuck. I wouldn't have wanted a girl yeah. either. Yeah. <laughs> true. True. You know, I mean, my mom definitely felt that tampons were for promiscuous women, so. Damn it, that might be what I named the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I, it was such a revelation when I stopped wearing those giant diapers. <laughs> <laughs> how old were you i'm saying tampons like Catherine Hahn does in a movie that you won't know i'm quoting uh well, how old were you college like when did that happen for uh you? no no i was in uh well i started sneaking tampons in junior high but like buying them for real like in in high school yeah sneaking tampons how funny <laughs> is that because a friend of mine used tampons she went on a trip with me to disneyland and uh, she was like, I can't believe you use those pads. They're awful. And I'm like, yeah, but my mom says this and that about, you know, tampons. And she's like, no. I mean, and she also went to my church. So I was like, well, if her mom is cool without yeah. wearing tampons and maybe it's yeah. that big of a thing. So not funny. Wearing, I don't know if you're wearing them, but using you wear them, them? maybe. <laughs> well, you're wearing the pads. I don't know if you're using the tampons, I think. <laughs> oh, I didn't know we'd be having that good debate today. <laughs> Do you wear a tampon? Do you use a tampon? No, you don't wear it. Yeah, you're right. You use you it. Use you it. insert it and you use it. There, yeah. I have spoken. Well, I was trying to avoid the word insert. Maybe <laughs> insert? insert is You don't like the word insert? I don't. Because <laughs> should that be our password? <laughs> Word. insert all right um all right are you ready for another one i am ready for another one 
picture it, Springfield, Missouri, June 6, 1992. I mean, we're in the early 90s, so do we still have pleats in our jeans? I don't know. Um, no, I definitely have a flannel shirt with the arms cut off. That's what this, there, I bet you there was flannel shirts involved, even though it was really hot. Because yeah. that's what people did in 1992. Yes. I had graduated okay. from a mullet to like a asymmetrical bob. So symmetrical bob. Wow. Kind of like a cure sort of thing, you know, a cross between the cure and Nancy Reagan. <laughs> Bet no one's ever made that comparison before. <laughs> I always take it. She's a cross between Nancy Reagan and the cure. <laughs> no, I always um, take trends that are edgy and I, I take all the edge out of it. <laughs> superpower. It is my superpower. All right. So uh, there's two girls who just graduated high school, Susie Streeter and Stacy McCall. And they graduated from Kickapoo High School, which Kickapoo. I would love to go to Kickapoo High School. Is that in I looked Oklahoma? it up. Uh, we're in Missouri. Oh, close Plainfield, enough. Missouri. Close enough. And the mascot is the Chiefs which I'm not sure if that needs to be changed in the, you know, this new millennium here. Uh, so they graduated that day and they got ready to go to all the graduation parties over at, at one of their houses. And then they went to several different parties and they were supposed to stay the night at one of their friend's house. And her name was Janelle. And but there was apparently so many people staying over at Janelle's that they left. And they went back to Susie's house where she lived with her mother 47-year-old Cheryl Levitt. So by all accounts, Cheryl had absolutely no reason to expect Susie to return that evening because she thought she was going to be at Janelle's house. It's important information, okay? Now, before I go further, my sources for this are lineup.com, Kentucky Channel 3, their website, and it's a very uncomfortably named website. It's ky3.com on the Springfield News Leader, their newspaper. So those are three of my sources. Okay. By the way, KY3 is also uh, what I use on certain chat rooms as my, uh, <laughs> as my avatar. Maybe that should be our safe word. KY3. <laughs> KY3. Okay. KY stop. So, okay. <laughs> so um, you know, the friend I'm about to describe, I'm not going to name him, but you know him. He always wears goofy t-shirts and stuff. And he has one that's I heart KY for the mm. University of Kentucky. I was like, really? Oh. That's really, that's really cute. Nice. All right. Now, Cheryl, remember Cheryl's the mom. Susie is Cheryl's daughter. And then the friend is named Stacy. They're all S names. So it's hard for me to keep track. So I'm, I keep saying that. So it was a last minute decision caused by overcrowding at their friend's house, Janelle, that made them go over to Susie's house and stay at Susie and Cheryl's house. And Janelle and her boyfriend, the next morning, they all had plans. They were all going to go to a local water park. And they plan to leave at like 7 a.m. Well, 7 a.m. comes and goes, and they don't hear from either of their friends. And Janelle and her boyfriend decide to go over to Cheryl's house, Cheryl and Susie's house, to see what's going on. As they approach the front steps, the only thing that looked a little bit weird was that the porch light globe was broken, even though the bulb was still on. So just the glass part was broken. And the front door was unlocked. And so Janelle and her boyfriend went in and they noticed. Everything just seemed normal. Everything was intact, no signs of a struggle. They looked around at the bedrooms. The beds had been slept in. The TV in one bedroom was turned on and it was staticky, which is a little bit creepy. You know, remember that staticky sound? There was mm -hmm. just a, 
packs of cigarettes were still there and two of them were smokers and all three cars are still in front of Cheryl's home. And just before Janelle and her boyfriend were about to leave, the home phone rang, Janelle answered. And the person on the other end of the line didn't identify himself like, hi, this is, or ask for another person, but just started making lewd sexual comments. Janelle just hung up because she assumed it was a prank call. Well, there's also reports in other different places that say that there was a recording on the answering machine of the home that also had something weird and creepy on it, but that it got erased somehow. So the mom of the other girl who was spending the night comes by. She didn't know that Janelle and her boyfriend had been by. And she searched the house as well, couldn't find anybody. And keep in mind, this is 92. We didn't have cell phones in the ubiquity that we do today, right? Nobody was calling or texting everybody to see where's our friends. Everybody just had to drive places or call homes, you know? So friends and family made the rounds. They, they made calls trying to figure out, have you seen, have you heard from them? They went places they thought they might've gone. But here's one of the things that really wigs me out. Now the cars were out front, right? But in the house, there was still money. There were keys in the house. Nothing had been stolen. All the TVs and all the valuables were still there, but all of the ladies' three purses were lined up in a row at the very top of the stairs. Mm. Isn't that fucking weird? Yeah, that's weird. When people live in homes with stairs, you know what they don't do? They don't take their purses to the top of the stairs and leave them at the top of the stairs. It's not a thing. Like you'll, you'll throw it somewhere else. You'll drop it on the banister. You'll, but for all three of those women to do that and leave their keys and their money. And, and then the one who was spending the night, the, the friend safety was the friend spending the night. Um, her clothes were neatly folded that she'd brought over and all of them were still there, including her makeup bag, as well as her migraine medicine. Cause she suffered from migraines. And so she didn't take her medicine with her either. And they didn't take their cigarettes, right? So that's definitely a sign that they were kidnapped because smokers will not leave their cigarettes. They will not leave their cigarettes. They would leave their keys, their purse, but the cigarettes. Their prescription medicine. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, but they left their cigarettes and their medication behind. And keep in mind, the only thing that was amiss was that one broken light, right? Um, Well, first of all, Janelle's boyfriend, before they went into the home, thought he was being nice. So he got a broom and he swept all that up and threw it out. Uh, So their only piece of evidence that they might've done anything with for fingerprint or anything was gone because he contaminated, accidentally contaminated a crime scene, right? So- And the door was unlocked when they got there. That's how they were able to get in. The door was unlocked. And this case quickly became um, what what they call the uh, Springfield Three, these women. And so if you want to find anything about it, just search Springfield 3. It's not hide nor hair nor anything has been found of these women. And since they searched the house, there's no other evidence. There's no nope. other. They, they scoured the local lake, Lake Springfield. Divers went there. They scoured all the, you know, wooded areas around. They had officers on horseback searching fields. 20,000 flyers were distributed. They still chase leads. The, the, the detectives in that department, they still get leads every month or so. There's been no sign of these women. Zip, zero, zilch, nada. And 29 years later, it is still unsolved. Where the fuck did they go? Wow. Where the well, fuck did they go? I mean, at this point, they've, they've been killed, I would guess. They were declared dead five years later. 
the parents of the friend and then the the sister of Cheryl and the aunt of Susie had them legally declared dead, which I mean, what a fucking bummer, man, right? And then there's all these theories, you know, and and a lot of these circle back around. They'll say sex trafficking, human trafficking, you know, whoever took them, how did that person get them out of that house, get them to open the door? Because the girls didn't go back home until like after midnight. So at some point, either the door was unlocked and somebody went in and got them or got them, you know, to come out some way without anybody seeing anything, without anybody hearing anything. Oh, gone, gone, look at thin air. You know, the ones that really wig me out, and there's a, there is a case called the Fort Worth Three. Are you familiar with that case? No. It was three women just disappeared. And there, there were two teenagers and like an 11-year-old um, disappeared one day in Fort Worth. Middle of the day, you know, I actually am going to cover that, but it would happen at Christmas. So I'll do that when we get closer to like December holidays. To cheer everyone up for the holidays? Yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do here. <laughs> we bring joy <laughs> and bring murder. Joy, joy and, and murder. The cases like that wig me out. Because we as women, or as people, really, I mean, don't you feel safer when you're with at least one other person? Much less two other people. Much less your mom in your home. Right. You would think, like, maybe if you're home alone, you're scared. But are you going to be home with two other people home with you and be scared? Probably not. No, you're not, right? But again, you know, Merry Christmas, y'all. But that shit still happens when you're with other people. And in fact, sometimes you're in even more danger. In part because you might fight back. But if I threaten to kill your best friend or your mom, you're not going to fight back, right? right? You know, you'd fight for your life, but you'd comply if I threatened to kill your friend. That's really one of the most fucked up things, you know? Yeah, when you were talking about that, a flurry of examples popped into my mind, but I was thinking about, I think it was at Yosemite, Carrie Stainer, and it was the exact same scenario. It was a mom, her daughter, and a friend, and the mom was compliant to try and save the girls, and and so you just have to assume if you get taken to another location, that's it's not going to go well. No, it's not, Um, and the we should do a segment on that or a show on that case. The Stephen Stainer and Carrie Stainer cases are like the most tragic, horrible. Oh my God. I just read a story about Stephen Stainer and it's a real shame that the bottom of his story is always the asterisk of his psycho brother who ended up being a serial killer. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so if y'all don't know the Stephen Stainer story, kid was kidnapped, the whole thing. Oh my gosh. And if I can find out the, the story, we should feature it on our show too. I just turned on the ID channel one night while I was working and I got engrossed in the story about some kids that got kidnapped and killed. But the one thing that I thought was interesting about it was the killers seemed like they were going to let them go if they wouldn't say anything. But there was one girl in the group that refused to say she wouldn't say anything. Really? Yeah. To the bitter end, she was like, no, I'm going to say something. And her friends were like, dude, just say you're not going to say anything. And so they all got killed? Um, you know oh what? Oh my gosh. I'm going to save that for... Okay. It's a cliffhanger. It is a cliffhanger. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> KY3. Um, <laughs> did we decide on that? I don't know. Yeah, I think KY3 is KY3. <laughs> What if we start a whole movement and people start saying that to each other when they're in arguments in public places? Yeah. Okay. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to talk about our sponsor, UrbanAlco.com, which has the coolest true crime related and other are just funny home decor. I love it. I think they have the coolest stuff. And, and I like the fact that it's not just true crime. They've got cat stuff. I mean, it's pretty much they have stuff about everything that I like. And it is so cute and so adorable. Um, it's not stuff you can just buy anywhere. And the quality is there too. I mean, this, this stuff is, is American made too, which is yeah. part of why it's so good. It's really good. And if you go to the website, urbanalco.com, instead of just going through Etsy, that's when you can use it. Now for this coupon code for 20% off. A good deal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to the show. Now here's my third one. And this is the most recent. It's 2011. So it's um, December of 2011. So almost exactly 10 years ago. Are you ready for another Missouri case? I'm ready. Marie. They got a lot of COVID there too in Missouri. Do they? Yeah. By the way, I love Missouri. My grandma's uh, farm, very close to to Joplin, Missouri. So I have- Cool story, bro. There, yeah, I know. (laughs) That's a cool- The only thing I experienced in in Missouri was Silver Dollar City. That's in Missouri, right? I don't know. That's what, so that's when you needed to go to town. Ah. Joplin. Mm-hmm. I've heard nice things. Not really. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one is December 18th, 2011, in a town called Spanish Lake, Missouri, and it's outside of St. Louis. Okay. The woman's name is Phoenix Colden, and she was in her mid 20s, and she still lived with her parents. Her mom's name was uh, spelled G O L D I A, Goldia, you think? Goldia? Yeah, it sounds good. Okay. So Goldia Calden and Phoenix went to church that morning. Um, Phoenix's mother, Goldia, was uh, deeply religious, and so was her father, and they raised Phoenix deeply religious. This is a Black family, and that's important for the story. So after church, Goldia and Phoenix stop at a grocery store on the way home. And here's one of the news reports from HuffPost, um, who put together a lot of things on this case. Uh, HuffPost, as well as Oxygen, and Oxygen did a show on this. There's been several documentary-type shows on this, you know, true crime shows. And one of the articles says, Phoenix Calden would make our last phone call at that grocery store. Now, this is important because of what happens later that day. So when the pair returned to their Spanish Lake, Missouri home, just north of St. Louis, Goldia said that Phoenix changed clothes and went outside to shoot hoops outside. And a short time after that, she got into her car and her parents said that wasn't very unusual because she lives at home and she was a grown ass woman. And so when she wanted to make private phone calls, she would go sit in her car. Okay. So it wasn't like that was a weird thing to do, mm-hmm. but they, they saw her get into her car and sit in the, in the driveway of their house for a while. And then they assumed she was making phone calls. Remember what I said? The last phone call was down at the store. So what was she doing sitting in her car that whole time? Okay. So right about three o'clock, her father, Lawrence, says he saw his daughter pull out of the driveway and just drive off. Now, he said he didn't think anything of it. She's grown. Um, She didn't have to tell him where she was going. He assumed she was like going to the convenience store. Her best friend lived in the neighborhood. Maybe she was going to see her. But this is part of the thing that's really strange about the timeline of this day is that Phoenix was seen by her best friend's mother and she spoke to her she said she spoke to phoenix 
around 4.30 or 4.45, that she was still in that neighborhood. So her dad saw her leave at three. He, he, he says he knows for sure. The mom of her best friend says, I spoke to her in and around an hour and a half later. Where was she between those two times, right? But then the friend's mom saw her head out of the neighborhood. Okay. Now, the next thing that happens in this case happened at 5.27 p.m. So we're give or take 45 minutes to an hour after the best friend's mother saw Phoenix leave the neighborhood. Phoenix's car was found abandoned in the middle of the road with all of her possessions and phones, everything still in the car, in a kind of questionable seedy neighborhood in East St. Louis. At first, nobody put it together. It was just an abandoned car. So somebody called the authorities. The police showed up at 5.42 p.m. So it's about, you know, within an hour-ish of the last sighting of Phoenix. They found the car. And I don't know how long it took them to put together that Phoenix wasn't at home or did they file a missing persons report? I don't know. But at some point over the next little while, they put together. Phoenix never came home. The car was found an hour later. That's the timeline, right? Phoenix was never seen or heard from again. That's it. Okay. Um, this is 10 years later. Where the hell is she? Right. Right. So a medium.com also did a really interesting article where they delved into like putting together other, other shows and podcasts and news articles and police reports. And they put together a bunch of stuff. And so here's one of the things that was really interesting is whether or not Phoenix had a secret life that her parents didn't know about. And her parents were very, very religious. And they found out after she disappeared that they believed she was enrolled in the local university and she wasn't, okay? Which is pretty common. We talked about that before um, where people pretend they go to college. She also had at some point, I don't know where they thought she was living, but she'd lived with a boyfriend named Mike at some point too. And her parents didn't know that till after she died. She kind of come into a new group of friends. She had two cell phones, one that she that her family planned with her parents that she used to talk to her boyfriend. Another she paid for to talk to her other boyfriend, also named Mike, which actually is pretty handy if you're going to run around on people. If they have the same name, you're never going to fuck up, right? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. Okay. So now Phoenix kept this secret life from her parents because they believed sex should be safe for marriage. And Phoenix started getting into different types of music from what she listened to before. This was getting close to the time when she disappeared. She was uh, seeing this different guy, Mike. She was experimenting with drugs, according to some people. And here's what's really interesting is that her new group of friends really um, iced out the police. They wouldn't talk about her at all. They wouldn't tell him anything. Um, so she had this guy, Mike Part 2, who was also kind of sketchy. After she disappeared and the police found out about Mike number two, Mike number two, it turns out, was violent with his ex-girlfriend, so much so that she filed a restraining order on him. So we got a violent guy who's on the fringes of this situation, or maybe he's front and center, you know, I don't know. Um, but here's where it gets weird, if it's not weird enough. Phoenix wanted to get away from her life. The reason why we know this is because she said so. There's a YouTube video that she put out, but I think I didn't look for it, uh, but I read multiple accounts and it's been removed. But where she was doing, she was saying weird things about how, how she wanted to leave her life and she wishes she'd done things differently and wishes she'd done things over. And, and she was doing a weird version of the serenity prayer. And um, 
here's where it is even weirder. A PI was on the case and then another PI was on the case. And amongst these PIs and people who were investigating all of this, that was- Did the it was PIs just, have the same name? That would be really cool if they did. <laughs> no, one of them's named Steve, okay? You couldn't be named Mike. Um, so Phoenix Colden had two birth certificates. What? Yes. She got a birth certificate that was her original birth certificate with her father's name, her father's last name. And then she got one with her mother's family name. Mm. Okay. Hmm. I don't know very many people who do that. You? No. Tell me one reason you would do that that's not nefarious. Uh, the witness protection program or something, right? Maybe. I mean, but if you're going to run away from your life, why would you get a name that's so similar that's actually from your mom's family? The name your mom had, like her maiden name. I hate that phrase, so I just call it the family name. But like, what? Okay. What is the origin of that maiden name thing? Because you were a virgin until the night you got married, you took your husband's name. And then when you have sex, when it's consummated, that's when you're officially married. But what is, what is the word maiden refer maiden. to? Maiden. That means virgin? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, the maidenhead is the, the thing that. Oh, I thought that was <laughs> the hymen. Yeah, that's also that's another name a, for it. A maiden head. <laughs> that's disgusting. Okay. I've never heard of that. Thanks for sharing that piece of disgusting. I, here's what I really like about the last minute and a half of our discussion is I said those things so definitively, and I'm really not even sure, but I said it like it was fact. And if it's not, I will correct it before I publish this episode. I'm looking up this maiden head thing. I'm oh so lordy! Oh wait, here we. Stay on Google and slowly step away. No, you're correct. You're yeah. correct. You want to hear? You want to hear it in a sentence? No. <laughs> she had lost her maidenhead some two years earlier. I think. Do I need to do that with a British accent? Please. She had lost her maidenhead some two years earlier. Said what Lord. What the fuck was that? Faithwait. <laughs> <laughs> and then it says, "See Hyman." <laughs> there you go see don't question me i'm educated i know shit maidenhead oh my gosh i'm gonna use that all the time now that's maybe that should be, be our safe new... word maidenhead is our safe <laughs> word for freaking sure <laughs> okay maidenhead is the safe word yeah, maidenhead. you're welcome mm -hmm. all right let me get back to our our two birth certificates okay she was phoenix colden in one of them and she was phoenix reeves in the other and this is kind of like the, the only thing that anybody was able to track down was the private investigators found four people in the U.S. who had that name, Phoenix Reeves, which is kind of a cool name, actually. It is, yeah. And he was able to account for three of them, and as in find out their identities, and it was not her. But then one of them was a little bit suspect. There was no birth date associated with this particular Phoenix Reeves no social security number and no relatives that he could find anywhere. A little bit weird, right? And this Phoenix Reeves lived in Alaska. So homeboy travels to Alaska, found the house that was listed as Phoenix Reeves' home. So the woman whose son owned the house, um, now I think she was visiting, she answered the door or whatever. And she said, no, I don't know who this person is. Phoenix Reeves, Phoenix Colden, I don't know. My son's owned the home for over 10 years. No one has ever lived here who's been named that. And when the investigator showed 
pictures of Phoenix around town, you know, around the neighborhood. Nobody had ever seen her or anyone who looked like her. Um, and that was basically the only lead that anybody was able to chase down. And the story makes me go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but it's an important one because it brings up treatment by law enforcement and the media uh, of people of color, particularly people of color who go missing. And I'm gonna compare this to another case by reading directly from a HuffPost article by Tremaine Lee. And this, and this is said so well that I'm just gonna quote it exactly. Quote, in May, 2005, Tamika Houston, a 24 year old waitress from Spartanburg, South Carolina went missing. Her family and friends frantically scoured the neighborhood where she had last been seen, handed out posters, leaflets, and pleading with local media to cover this case. Around the same time, an 18-year-old celebrating her high school graduation disappeared in Aruba, and I bet you know her name. If you don't, Marie, then the people out there know her name. Does the name Natalie Holloway ring any bells? Right, yeah. So like Houston, Holloway was young, attractive, and from a loving family, but Holloway was white, with blonde hair and blue eyes, Houston was a black woman with caramel colored skin. Holloway's case became a media sensation. To this day, people still are right. obsessed with it. And reporters were tracking its every development, but Houston's pictures were never splashed across the front pages of any national paper or shown in any major television news networks. Very few people of any race who go missing get the kind of attention Holloway received. But when they do, they tend to be young white women and rarely a person of color. Quote, this is a quote of uh, somebody in the article. When Tamika went missing, I witnessed how her family struggled to get media attention. And I knew I had to do something to change that. Said Derricka Wilson of DC. Soon after Houston's disappearance, Wilson laid the groundwork for an organization that ended up being called later the Black and Missing Foundation. And I have the link on our website to blackandmissing.com. And it's an opportunity if you have someone to report is missing, if you want to look into cases of missing people now, if you want to scroll through the different states, you can go by state by state of people of color. There's statistics on there. It's, it's alarming. But what this site and this organization is seeking to do is to try and balance the scales a little bit and getting the word out there of the people who go missing who are not white, particularly not white women, do not get attention. And, and they are much more likely the families will be told, oh, they probably just ran away. Now, I already said what I said about Phoenix, that she did want to run away, but that doesn't mean she did, right? A lot of people make video recordings about wanting to leave their lives, right? Or just say dramatic shit when they're low one day, you know, I'm just going to end it all, or I'm just going to run away. Does that mean that you don't investigate the case as if this person might've actually had something terrible happen to them? Yeah, you know, uh, I don't think it does. Like if somebody runs away at 16 and comes back and then disappears at 17, do you go, well, nothing to see here. She must've run away again. No, that's not how it works. We've talked about this before. It is so rare, capital R rare, that someone actually does up and abandon their life. It is right. so rare. And it's even rarer that they do it and they stay gone without a hint from anybody for any reason ever. Now, this, this particular person, the 24-year-old that, that led Derricka Wilson of D.C. to be inspired to start, you know, seeking justice a little bit for people of color who are missing, that person, it turned out, was murdered. They found her body because her ex-boyfriend killed her and led police to her body. But in the time that she was missing, what if he took her and had her and they could have found her? So I'll, I'll take it a step further, which is... Okay. 
last night james and i were watching this ronan farrow interview with one of the women who had accused harvey weinstein and the police didn't take it seriously and uh, she had also been involved in a scandal with um, berlusconi but one of the things that happened when she talked to the district attorney was they asked her if she had been involved in prostitution and it's like what What? does that have to do what does that fucking matter exactly but i hear stories all the time like um, oh i know uh, i know i do think that sometimes excuses are used when cases can't be solved and they try to turn it around and blame the victim for their behavior in some form or fashion and honestly it doesn't matter murder is illegal whether the person led a crime yeah right right i mean come on i'm so fucking tired of that yeah and I really hate that phrase, innocent victim, because all victims are innocent. Right. You're, you're not a victim of a crime or a murder or a rape um, and earned it and deserved it. Otherwise, it's not a crime. It's not murder. It's self-defense. I mean, you know, right. like, right. God, I can't stand that phrase. It makes me crazy. So my I'm point not, is... I'm not fucking innocent. I drink like a fish, you know? I, what if I wear short shorts and you want to talk about that in court because somebody attacks me? What? what what about your innocent has nothing to do with being a victim of a crime we already talked about that like if if they did a dateline on us remember when i came out to visit you in montana and we were at that biker place or whatever or that that restaurant where there were bikers i don't know if oh yeah, 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 yeah 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 and uh we were having some drinks or whatever and we were like yeah the photos they would put up of us on the id special where we're like drinking and like <laughs> Surrounded by bikers. Surrounded by bikers. (laughs) They were like, Becky and Marie love to party. (laughs) They had a vibrant nightlife (laughs) on a trip where Marie traveled without her husband. (laughs) Oh my God, you're good at this. You're getting, you got the story going, right? Right. right. Who else stayed in that cabin with Marie and Becky? how Becky. many brownies did she make <laughs> <laughs> yes. becky's love of brownies and the f word <laughs> <laughs> propelled them you... into a week of debauchery <laughs> debauchery <laughs> whatever oh this God, is like always so funny but it's even worse i think sometimes with and it's people of color but it's also poor people i think people yeah. that live in poverty sometimes the resources to bring them. out the, the, the media and the resources to, to have that anyway so i don't know if you happen to see my i don't know if you ever go on it, uh instagram but i had i had this thing and i put it on my blog uh voraciousvoyager.com about um snarky t-shirts mm-hmm. and the one that i was hiking in yesterday at the park um says i'm mostly peace and love and light and a little bit go fuck yourself Mm-hmm. And it's really cute. It's really cute. So if I get kidnapped or I disappear in Yellowstone Park and that's the last t-shirt I'm wearing, I don't think anybody would say that it's a victim. <laughs> the girl had a shirt that told you go fuck yourself, you know? Right. Totally. She was, that's, her, that's her total catchphrase on a podcast, you know, where she makes fun of crime or whatever, you know? Right. So, it's almost yeah. like a self-fulfilling prop. I have a tank top that I can't wear right now because it looks like I've slid into a sausage casing. But oh, no. <laughs> but this tank top says sweating like a hooker in church. 
And I swear every time I'm out hiking in it, people whistle and like honk their really? horns and whatnot. It's like, oh my gosh, do I want this attention. I don't know. And then if I, I get know. murdered on a hike, do I want to be the sweating like a hooker in church victim? Oh my God. That would be the description of the last thing you were seen wearing. Wearing yeah. a shirt that's just sweating like a hooker. She was wearing a sweating like a hooker in church shirt and dirty underwear <laughs> when she, when she died. And then oh. it'll be like she went missing and they thought she was murdered, but she actually just slipped and broke her neck in a ditch. <laughs> that's us. That's us. That's how I'm gonna go. And then the thing is, I'll be there for so long, the birds have like eaten my face off. And the only way they'll be able to identify me is from that sweater and church shirt. <laughs> she was the only okay. person tacky enough to okay. buy that. Right, here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry this further. So I'm the Emmy, and there you are laying on the table. And I'm cutting you open and I'm reading into the tape recorder. Women, uh, what do they say on those shows? Well nourished, well nourished female uh, in her 40s. Wearing a sweating like a hooker in church. <laughs> well nourished. Death record. <laughs> she's she's left left a lot of meat on the bone for the birds. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then it'll be like, and she she hasn't uh, touched up her hair dye in a while. There's all kinds. Of, oh, now the Emmy's judgy. He's just going to be all judgy on you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Luckily, the birds will have eaten my eyebrows off, so those won't be seen. What's wrong with your eyebrows now? I thought you got them where you wanted them. Oh, I did, but I just haven't. I oh, you haven't. Personal you, need, you need some grooming, some yeah. eyebrow grooming. I am okay. sweating like a hooker in church right now in this closet. <laughs> I know. I have two fans on me right now. Like, there's one under here, there's one over here. So, probably the sound of this, by the way, audience people. Uh, if the sound is bad that's part of it part of it is i can't find my microphone so i have these headphones you lost your microphone i think i might have taken it to dallas but i didn't think i did i searched this entire house for it today oh wait are you in montana yeah yeah i thought their Um, closet looked different i don't have my nice shoes my you know my fancy heels behind me and and you have a lot of neon stuff all of a sudden curtis's stuff oh i was like (laughs) why do you have all these neon fishing shirts that say (laughs) columbia on them i know neon scrubs (laughs) (laughs) no when we record in here usually i'll put a scarf over his stuff i didn't think to do that today because we're not like using this video um yeah so um okay Creepy disappearances, those are three cases that give me the fucking willies and keep me up at night. And every time I hear a case of plucked out of thin air, missing from your own driveway, those stories wig me out. They wig me out, you know? Not included today was a case that was actually solved because it turns out it was a budding serial killer. There's a really creepy forensic file. Uh, Sherry, I want to say Smith. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get her name wrong. Um, where she was, it was also her high school graduation day, and her father saw her at the end of the driveway, stop her car to get out and get the mail, and she never made it into the house. And he looked out again, and her car was left running, and her door was open, and she was gone. That's, that's another story I'll cover later. But the distance between when he saw her and when the person took her, without her dad seeing out the window, is those moments really do keep me up at night. Like those little tiny things that could have gone a different direction. And one of the things 
that is really, really interesting that I think that um, the first story that I talked about from Janice, uh, the mom of Cherry, the little girl, yeah. the eight-year-old, it's been 30, how many years? 35? How many years? And she said, I had to forgive the person who did it in my heart. I'm like, wow, that is, that is grace. And she said, I have to forgive myself because I carried a lot of guilt for a lot of years because I could have walked down that driveway. I was like, oh, you know, I just want to hug her for that. I mean, God bless her, you know? Yeah. The unanswered question would be so fucking torturous. I think that's like, that's the thing that's the takeaway from these disappearances is that no one ever has closure. And, and honestly, even if you know in your heart, the person is dead, you're still going to cling to that notion that maybe there's a chance. And then these cases come out with like, like Steven Stainer or Casey Dugard or, or JC, JC, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. JC. Elizabeth Smart. Uh-huh. And I remember reading about one of the people whose child had disappeared and there was never any sign, sign, sight, you know, it's gone forever. How difficult the story was when J.C. Dugard was found. Because everyone started saying to her, look, see, I told you, don't give up hope. Right. And she said, I had to give up hope. You know, that's one of the things, and you don't watch Ted Lasso, but there's the episode that ended season one was called, It's the Hope That Kills You. And I believe that's a quote from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or something like that. But it's the hope that kills you. And I get in certain situations, it is the hope that kills you. Because at some point, you've got to, in your heart, say, it's over. I don't know, man. I don't know how you do it. But I'm dedicating this to all the parents and friends and loved ones of the missing. It's one of the hardest things I can imagine. I can't get my head around it. I just can't. Yeah. And luckily, it's not that common, like you mentioned. Right. Right. Oh, and here's a statistic. Um, I was listening to one of our old episodes and I'm not saying I was funny, but I think the moment was funny because you were quoting so many statistics about Christmas carols or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I threatened you that I was going to fall asleep on my cat if you quoted another statistic at me. <laughs> so I know the statistics are not always our friend, but the Black and Missing Foundation, but they also quote the FBI statistics. 678,000 people are reported missing-ish, give or take, you know, but 600-something thousand. And 40% of those individuals are people of color. So if you look at the news coverage, I promise you that it's not going to be equitable, you know? Right. Again, 600,000, 200,000, I don't want to scare people, even though our show has the word fear in it. It's so rare. It's so unlikely. And even this case with Phoenix, say, we don't know what happened. It could be a, a someone she knew, you know, that the person took her, dro- drove her car into the city and then left it so that somebody would find it. Same thing with the cherry. We don't know. One of the theories about the Springfield three is that it was a cop, which I think is interesting, or at least somebody dressed as a cop. Mm. And that that might have been the only reason that they opened the door. But the thing that I forgot to say, it's possible they were aiming for the mom because by all accounts, the daughter and her friend were not supposed to be there. Awesome. You know? Yeah. You know? So was the mom the target? Did there were some stories about well, there's this weird guy who got out of prison from raping and killing somebody else and moved to town, wasn't him. He claimed to his girlfriend at the time that he did kill them, but then he was also some guy who was just a showboat who wanted attention, you know. Which, by the way, I found this in almost all these cases. Is I want to do a show of people who insert themselves into police investigations just for fun just to fuck with people to do it to make money 
sometimes they just do it for attention. And Phoenix Colden's family was a victim of one of those people. It's really, really fucking tragic. Like a tragedy on top of a fucking tragedy, you know? So that is on my list of things we're going to cover sometime soon. You know what? I just saw a Netflix documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. It happened in Ireland. This French woman was killed. And I heard that was good. But it does deal with the idea of someone inserting themselves into uh-huh. a case. So okay. Are they the killer or did they insert themselves? And either way, when people insert themselves, the amount of damage they do to the case, it's, it's like a second murder in a way. Yep. And sometimes they drain bank accounts. That one family with the girl who disappeared on the cruise. Yeah. Those fake investigators spent years draining those people with money. Psychics come around and want money to tell you where they're, you know. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, this is dedicated to the parents, the loved ones of the missing. And I just want to say to all the people who insert themselves into investigations, go fuck yourselves. Go down the street, turn around. Down the street and fuck yourself. Come back. Turn left and fuck yourself. <laughs> Go to the grocery store. <laughs> so you've been listening now for this. Thank you for listening. I'm so glad we're back. Episodes are going to start dropping on Fridays <laughs> instead of Wednesdays. Um, please check out our website, fearthispodcast.com. Um, email us about what you fear. at fearless at nowfear.com. Let us know if you enjoy when I rattle off statistics, because (laughs) I really think that listeners do enjoy that. And this is a conflict with me and Becky. So if you can resolve that by just sending emails. (laughs) If you send an email, I'm going to do a statistical analysis of how many people actually like statistics, and then we're all going to fall asleep. (laughs) All right. Check out our Instagram. Now for this podcast is our Instagram. Let people know about our secret content there's super secret content oh our website this is how long it's been since we recorded this yes if you go to our website and you subscribe to our bonus content it is sure to change your life it is absolutely life-changing and you know you were having change before we stopped and you may have grown stagnant so it's time to go back (laughs) and continue the evolution yes join us on the this side of the bonus content for for every everything join us on this side of the bonus content. (laughs) yes excellent i don't know what that means i don't know what that means either but i like it all right i mean we have ky3 i apologize for this episode already all right see y'all next time later